Hello, and welcome to Against Austin, an Against Me podcast. I'm Dwayne, and I'm here with Austin. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing great, man. I'm doing great. Good, good. Uh, I think right off the bat, before we get into anything, and we've got a lot to get to, I'll just give a quick warning that uh, we're going to get into some pretty dark subjects tonight. Uh, we're going to talk a lot about suicide and possibly use some homophobic slurs. Uh, so if that is something that you are not comfortable with hearing about, just know that. So uh, just right there. off the bat, get that out of the way in case people are uncomfortable with that. I'm going to go ahead and tell you right off the bat, there's going to be a lot of talk about suicide. So just be prepared. Yep. All right. But Austin. Yes. We've got a lot to get into. We've got an album. We have a single. Apparently you went to a concert. What's still in my bit? I know that's my one thing. <laughs> but well, uh, it's the first one I've been to in a long time. <laughs> but, but before we get into that, uh, I just totally forgot to even ask for voicemails uh, this time. I don't think I want it to be an every episode thing. Uh, but a lot of pressure. But a friend of ours, Ed. <laughs> asked me if he could send a message and i was like yes of course you have a big platform and that's gonna more people are gonna listen if you're on the show so uh, of course you can send a voicemail uh so let's listen to what ed had to say hey against often boys it's ed um i thought of a question the other day and i was like wow ed you're really high but that is a very good question and um so like let's say Dwayne went to the greatest city in the world, New York City, to visit you, Austin. And uh, he was full on like, listen, I don't know what I want to do. I don't have any ideas, uh, but I'm here for two days. Uh, what would you take What would you take Dwayne to do in that scenario? Uh, there's so much to do. I love New York City, man. I really do. Been there a couple times. I like it a lot. I think it's really cool that, like, the John Lovitz vehicle, the critic, was so popular that they turned New York City into a real place. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, yeah, let me know. Okay, bye. Okay, that's that's a question for you. Yeah, I, okay. Um, boy, what would, well, there's a ton to, to eat. Like, we, we would, like, hit any kind of food that you want to go to. That's through. great. I'm into that. I would... Also, definitely tell you, take you to there's, there's, I mean, like an uncountable number of music venues in the city that it, like any of them have a band that you can just go in, pay 10 or 15 bucks and see some band that you've never seen before. Um, the venues have changed a lot since I've lived here, but like I used to just randomly pop into the Mercury Lounge um, down on the east side and I wouldn't know any of the bands on the on the marquee or on the marquee. There's no marquee. There's You're lucky if there's even a poster in the window that has them. You just go in and you, you, you give, you know, give them 15 or 20 bucks and you just go hang out by the small stage and hear uh, what could be a really good band, what could be a really bad band and just sort of sort of chill and do that. Um, but we definitely I think in New York, my stopping ground was always um, East Village and the Lower East Side. And I think that 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 feels much more like Dwayne's scene. And I know you're not a big drinker. You're not a drinker at all, Dwayne. So we wouldn't yeah. do the bars, but there's plenty to do. There's just a ton of good food. I would just, you know, like I'm it'd be pretty low key, but it's just like 
eat a bunch of really good food, go see some music, wander around, try to find that like the, that core of like weird New York um, that still is around, not quite as much as it used to be, but it's still there. Um, I'm trying to think, you know, much of a you don't strike me as much of a museum guy. Is that fair? Um, it would depend on what kind of museum. I'm definitely not going to a fucking art museum. I can tell you that. Right, I'm not interested right. in looking at no paintings or nothing. <laughs> I don't care about that at all. I mean, there, there are actually some like low-key cool museums in the city that most people don't really, or that, that people don't visit a ton. Like there's a the Transit Museum, which has like the old subways. And that's, that's actually kind of cool. It's actually you go into an abandoned subway station and that's where the museum is. So you actually like go underground. Okay. Which is kind of cool. I don't know. I'm a trained nerd so that appeals to me and there's like the tenement museum which is like shows you what it was like living in tenements in new york city which is sounds like a sleepy museum but it's pretty pretty cool um so i don't know two days i would just immerse you in as much culture as i could find and feed you really good food because i think that that's probably what makes you happy (laughs) okay sure sure uh yeah all right that sounds good You'd do that. You'd be down with that, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. <laughs> well, you're not a big sports guy, so it's not like I can take you to a No, like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that wouldn't be it. No, I would not. Because we we did that. Um, not when I went to New York, but uh, on a trip when we were in, uh, when I was in middle school. We went to a baseball game. And, yeah, about halfway through i was like are we like like, can we go like (laughs) i remember i got in trouble because i just got up and just started walking around i was like i gotta go find something to do i just like walked around little shops and like went to the concession stand they 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 i finally like like an hour of just like walking around someone came up to me and was like what are you doing like we've all been looking for you it's like well, I can't sit here much longer, man. They're just doing the same shit over and over. Like, you know what I mean? Like, what do you want? <laughs> so, yeah, that wouldn't be the thing. Maybe, maybe, I, maybe you could take me like basketball. Oh, yeah. Um, all right. Because they have like, uh, I'm going to sound like a total idiot, but uh, they have like the famous players, right? The the what the team in New York, the Knicks, or the Nets. Know. We have two. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, <laughs> there's the Brooklyn Nets and then there's the, the New York Knicks. And the Knicks, I mean, the Nets have uh, Kyrie Irving, who's a big, big star. I'm not, a, I'm going to get, I can't talk about sports because I don't know enough, but I, I do know Kyrie is with the Brooklyn Nets and he's also like been retweeting Alex Jones recently. So I never, I, I, I like, I did not even know that was a team. The, yeah, they used to be the New Jersey Nets and they They're moved. called the Nets. Yeah, the Nets. The Brooklyn Nets. They were another team. They were the New Jersey Nets for a They were time. naming teams and they're like, what do you got? Uh fuck. Uh Nets. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not to be confused with the Knicks, uh, which is our other hey. team. But, yeah. Uh, all right. Anyway, thank you, Ed. Thanks, Ed. Uh <laughs> you went to a concert. What was this about? So uh very last minute, my 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 friend and my my neighbor texted me and said, hey, I'm going to go see The Violent Femmes on Friday. Do you want to come with me? I love this band, and I've never seen them. This is what she's telling me. She's like, I love this band. I've never seen them live. 
And I said, yeah, absolutely. Like I, it's been over 20 years since I'd seen them. And I just, I had such a fond memory of seeing them live and just had so much fun and became like a big fan of their, of their music, but like after seeing them live. So I said, yeah, let's do it. So she bought a couple of tickets. Um, she has a car in New York, which is like a very rare thing. Um, so she drove us to the venue, probably about 200 people there, took the stage. Man, it was so much fun. And I will just say, like, New York City crowds are fucking terrible for the most part at concerts. Like, they all think they're too cool to, like, dance or, you know, like, really get into the music and everybody's looking at their phone. Not this group. There were people all ages. I mean, it was like all over the place. There were like old dudes, you know, older dudes in their sixties, young kids, high schoolers, and everybody was dancing. Everyone was singing. Everyone was having a great time. It was so much fun. I, it's like exactly what I needed to see and to have fun at. Um, but I also like was, as I was doing it, I was like, I don't know how familiar you are with their music, Dwayne, but I kept thinking, um, Recently, a lady they're playing a show near here, um, and an old an older lady at work came up to me and this girl uh, who's very young. She's like probably like I don't know a teen, maybe maybe early twenties, and uh, she's like, ah, I wanted to get tickets for the Violet Films, but it's sold out. And then she looked at me like, do you have any idea what she's talking about? <laughs> and I looked at her like, I don't know what that means. So that's about, <laughs> that's about my... Well, I, I wondered. So their band has been around for 40 years now, as, almost as long as I've been alive. And they've only put out about 10 albums in, in that 40 years. And so they pretty much just tour all the time. And, they, you know, the, the lead singer, Gordon, at the end, he said, well, he goes, I want to thank everybody coming out to basically see the same show that we've been playing for the last 40 years. Um, I hope, I guess you like that because we don't really put out a lot of albums. We just go on tour. Um, but it's, it's, I don't know. There's something they're They're kind of, for me, they're one of those like magical live bands that I've like really, when you see a band that like it's, there's something more to it. I've seen a lot of bands that I'm like, ah, that was fine. I could have just listened to this CD at home and it would have been the same, you know, like the same thing. And then there's shows that are like truly like, wow, that's a performer. That was excellent. And these guys are very firmly in that. And after 40 years, they definitely still have it. They're a little, little, little grayer than they were before, but it was, it was a ton of fun. That's awesome. Yeah. Anything else you want to say about the concert? Uh, Anything other than that? I mean, it was fun. If you how 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 long did they play? They played a little over an hour and a half. Okay, which was great, and they played all of the all the songs that they I think are contractually obligated to pay to their fan or to play for their fans. And it just was fun. I mean, it really was like it was very cathartic. Everybody was singing all the words. Everybody was dancing. Um, and it just, I don't know, man, I, I had a blast They are They have not lost a step. It's funny. I was talking to, um, Stacy Silvers before, and I mentioned that I was going to see him and he's like, dude, they're just as good today as they were 20 years ago. He's like, they just haven't lost any, any, anything. They just, they're just a fun band. They're just like a, a party whenever they pull in. So I was very, I was very stoked. It was absolutely last minute and i was so glad i went and i just yeah was smiling the next day the whole day through so that's it 
That was me and the Violent Femmes, and I'm going to make you listen to an album. I, you know, I don't need a review, but I'm curious. Well, to get if your they're take. if they're good, it just doesn't do me any good any good because that show's been sold out for like a month. So no, I don't mean to go see them. I, <laughs> I just, just, I just listen. Well, you definitely know one of their songs. They had a big hit uh, off their first album. I wouldn't listen. say definitely. You don't know what I might know. Not I'm going to tell you when I sent my partner the clip of them playing "Blister in the Sun," he was like, "Oh yeah, I know that song." And there's no way that you hadn't heard it if he had. Okay, well, we'll we'll uh, maybe we'll check back in on that next episode. <laughs> That's between going next. <laughs> the first thing we're going to do, Austin, is talk about one of only a few non-album singles that Against Me ever made. This is the Russian Spies single. It came out on June fourteenth, two thousand eleven. On Sabbath Productions, who also released the Crime and Acoustic EPs that we talked about, like way back on what was that Austin episode two? Yeah, must have been. And uh, so, going back to them for this, just kind of one-off release. This is sort of like right after they've left Sire. Um, they just kind of had a couple tracks kicking around that didn't make the album. Uh, your producer is Mike Zirkel. And, and Austin, on this single, Against Me, is Laura Jane Grace on vocals, James Bowman on guitar, Andrew Seward on bass, and on the drums is Jay Weinberg, uh, who was the son of Max, Max Weinberg. Max Weinberg. Yes. Yeah, I know who that is. Yeah, well, uh, so basically, uh, we talked about last time, more and left. Jay kind of reached out and at first uh, they were really happy with him because he was a good like 10 years younger than everybody. He was a big fan of the band. He knew all the parts, but pretty quickly they uh, really started to grow tired of this guy. Uh, there's uh, some great stories in the book. He's a pretty uh, entitled and uh, spoiled guy. Um, my favorite story in the book was um they were setting up one time at a venue and the lighting guy at the venue goes to Laura and he goes, uh, Hey, uh, you guys are doing a different setup this time, huh? She's like, what do you mean? He's like, put all the lights on the drummer. Jay would leave not long after, uh, Laura came out, uh, and he would announce he was quitting on Twitter. Uh, and in a famous incident, uh Laura would respond to this with just a picture of a drum machine. <laughs> um he <laughs> they they did not click with him very well. And even before he quit, they were already saying, like, we can't have this guy on the album. <laughs> uh, but his his dad was very powerful. Uh, and he would kind of use that as like leverage and arguments with the band and stuff. Uh, but Anyway, after he left, he would go on to join Slipknot. What? And yes, I did not know this until I, I was researching either. for the show. But he joined them in 2014, and he is with them to this day. Wow. So if wow. you go see Slipknot, it is Jay Weinberg um, wow. against me fame. On, I'm, sure, uh, I'm, I'm sure Dalton is like screaming at his phone right now when he listens to this. Going, yeah. I knew that. Why didn't you ask me? <laughs> <laughs> or he, or he's going, who's Max Weinberg? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. 
Austin, let's get into these songs. There's only a couple songs here. We're going to get right into them. We're not going to spend a ton of time on this because we got a lot yeah. to get into. But uh, I did want to talk about these songs a little bit since uh, it's one of the few uh, non-album singles that they ever put out. So let's let's start with Russian Spies. Austin, I really thought this is one of the weakest Against Me songs ever. Yeah. What did you think? I kind of agree. I, I, I messed up when I was listening to these because I really, I listened to the main album a, a lot. And then yeah. I was like, oh yeah, I forgot. I have to listen to this single. And I went back and I was like, uh, compared to what I what the the journey I just went on, this was a little <laughs> underwhelming. Uh, I mean, this honest. this definitely feels like something that was left off of an album, right? Well, um, and in comparison to the the, the forthcoming full length album, like this is like this feels very much like the last little bit, maybe just maybe for now. I don't know what com- what's coming next, but the last yeah. little bit of like the the overtly political sure uh, songwriting right yeah like i mean here this is this is sort of a song about like um just the feeling that she had at the time that you know the the world had kind of changed and, and politics and stuff used to be simpler and, and there was right. sort of a, a, an easy line to to draw and now things seem more complicated and there's new scarier things to be worried about and uh but it is sort of an atypical song for Laura because it's rare that she writes a song about how she's not worried about something. Usually it's like, I'm really worried about this. Right. right. <laughs> well, this was the Russian spies was pretty explicit though, because she talked about uh, nine years and 50 days. And I did very little research on that, but I did turn out that that is how long the USSR occupied Afghanistan before they took off. And yeah. so then we moved in and we're occupying for much, much longer than that amount of time. But I also like the, and I'm kind of in this like mood right now where um, I've been listening to another podcast about the crack epidemic. And uh, there's a line in this and it's called while well, narco submarines float silent through the water. And this is like the, the U S military taking over all of Afghanistan's um, opium. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it's definitely like, a, um, a song about current events and uh, yeah, a bit more political than sort of the, the songs that were on uh, white crosses. But I just thought this one just, I don't know, Austin, it just, it's just kind of low energy. It feels out of place. And like, I don't think the concept is fully fleshed out here. Like, I think well, she was going for, you can't, con- I think she was going for something that's kind of hard to convey in this song. But you also can't do it in two songs, right? Like, if you're really sure she's not, she's not, I mean, I don't know, I'm going to say this as a, now that I'm an expert, clearly, um, is, you know, I don't get the impression that she's ever, well, I mean, I, I haven't found it either. She, her messages don't come just in one song. You know, it's usually part of a bigger album you know, sure, that, that sort sure. of drives it home. And it's like when you're given two songs and say, hey, make these work cohesively to deliver this larger message home. I'm not sure that that's possible. And it's definitely not easy to do. Right. For, right. for a songwriter like her. But that's me presuming a lot. Well, I'll be honest, with you, that was more time than I thought we'd spend on this one. Uh, this <laughs> Good, because I don't have much for the next song. <laughs> not one of my favorites, but uh, let's get into uh, song number two here. 
which is Occult Enemies. I feel differently from you. I really like this song a lot. Really? Yeah, I, I mean, this is just a great, like, fast-paced song. Part of what this is about is um, they, Laura and Heather and their child, were living in Florida at the time. And all the neighbors thought that Heather was satanic because she would wear black clothes. And they actually held a prayer circle for her at a Chick-fil-A once. Uh, oh, just, my just, God. Yes. Yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, and so a big source of tension between Heather and Laura was li- that she just did not want to live in Florida, that she really hated it. People were really mean to her. And uh, and and it sort of would only get worse after Laura would transition. But uh, that hasn't happened yet in 2011. Right. But um, so that's sort of um, what she's going for. But I think there's also a little bit of um, what, you know, she's. Um, she's thinking more heavily about transitioning at this time. And uh, the lyric that really stood out to me here was, she says, my soul feels invaded like I was robbed, like I was cheated. And, uh, yeah, I just think that's a really powerful lyric. Uh, What do you want to say about this one? Yeah, no, I mean, it it definitely gave vibes of, like, Christians messing up something going on. Yeah. I was like, well, that's. That's kind of what I picked up from it. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, she's she's been on a journey and she's been on a path. And, you know, I, I we're going to definitely get into a lot more of this. I can't even imagine what it's like to feel like you're not in the right body. Right. right. I mean, that's yeah. that's as baseline as I can, I can even begin to describe it because I haven't had that experience. But you're also... I mean, Laura's 30 in her 30s at this point, you know, 2011, 30s, yeah, she would have been 31. Yeah. So, I mean, that's that's a long time to kind of wrestle with those sorts of feelings, you know, and I, I sure. think it's, it's you, you see, at least I see, you know, people that are younger and younger kind of coming to terms with their their gender identity earlier because it's it's something that's more more talked about i I won't say accepted because there's still a lot of shitheads who don't accept this but i think it's i think that's tough and so when you when you say that that line specifically it's like yeah i mean i've been i've been wrestling with this for a very long time i think this is one that you should uh you should maybe revisit again because i really i I really like this one okay um we have two quotes here one is about jay weinberg and the other is about Laura sort of explaining her thought process behind uh, one of the songs. So we'll start with that. This is from a interview with Spin Magazine in 2011. What she says is, Russian Spies is a song about existential dread, narcotic submarines, oil spills, and now the almost distant memory of a red threat, which, hey, LOL in 2022. In this brave new world, <laughs> sometimes I find myself longing for enemies so simple. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, not much to say about that, but I thought that was uh, interesting to hear her thought process. We're going to have more quotes from this article later, uh, but this is from a 2022 
alternative press interview and that we'll talk about more in the quote section for the next uh, thing that we're going to talk about. But here she is talking about Jay Weinberg. And uh, basically she is asked if um, she was too harsh on him in the book because uh, she does go into quite detail about her frustrations with him in the book. <laughs> And then also, you know, sort of making fun of him on Twitter and kind of asked if she regrets that. Uh, and she says, I thought I was pretty reserved and dialed down on my actual feelings on it. There are only a couple of cases of people I've come in contact with where after a couple of years, I can just let it slide and everything's fine. But there are a couple of people without naming names that if I saw them still, I wouldn't hesitate to say, you know what? Fuck you still, buddy. <laughs> Fuck you still. I thought I was I felt it was really pointed in that way. <laughs> you like it. I like it. That's what you have to say about him. Um all right, Austin. Anything else you want to say about this one uh before we get into the next thing? No, I think I'm good on this one. But before we get into the album, we have another th- major thing to talk about because in the May 24th, 2012 issue of Rolling Stone magazine, Laura comes out as transgender for the first time publicly. Um, and this is a pretty in-depth piece. It is called The Secret Life of Transgender Rocker, Laura Jane Grace by Josh Ells. We're not going to talk about it too much here. But um, it was really a major thing at the time. And Laura speaks really highly of Josh in her book. Um, so we're not going to talk about the piece itself too much. But I did have one quote here um, that really stuck with me out of everything Laura had to say. And I think this is going to be a good quote to sort of kick off uh, a lot of the discussion that we're going to have tonight. This is what Laura has to say about being transgender. The cl- <laughs> of course I fuck up. <laughs> the cliche is that you're a woman trapped in a man's body, but it's not that simple. It's a feeling of attachment from your body and from yourself. And it's shitty, man. It's really fucking shitty. Yeah. So that is yeah. what Laura has to say about it. Um, so before this interview happened, she had only told a handful of people. Uh, she told Heather and she told the members of the band. Um, and we'll get into sort of the fallout of that in a moment. Um, she would talk to her parents before the article came out, but not before she actually did the interview. Um, but the first person that she ever told was Brendan Kelly of the Lawrence Arms, um, because she said that he was the first person to that ever knew and called her on it. Um, he had a local talk show in Chicago and he had against me on, and the first question that he asked was, so Tom, do you put on panties when you're at home? 
And uh, <laughs> Laura just kind of froze and was like, what do you mean? And he was like, I mean, it seems like you talk a lot about like uh, dressing up in women's underwear and uh, having feelings of gender dysphoria in your songs and stuff. And uh, what's what's going on with that? And uh, she said that in the moment, she just kind of, you know, panicked and sort of dodged uh, the question, but that it always stuck with her that he immediately saw through her and just immediately knew. And so that's a bold question to ask anybody. So like, I know. Wow. I mean, (laughs) that's something you ask them in confidence. You don't ask that on the, she actually said that, you know, she gave some sort of like answer that was basically like, well, I just think this, you know, sort of thing is interesting, you know, uh, that Brendan says, well, James, I have a question for you. And, uh, Laura was very relieved that his question for James was, is Laura or, yeah, is Laura trying to duck my question about dressing up in women's underwear? Oh, God. <laughs> and uh, but she said that when uh, she called, that he was very supportive, um, and that um, that he was the first person that she felt safe talking to about it. Right. So I think also like I think we lose a little a little bit of Laura context. talks about Laura talks about in her book that. When she did things like the ocean and that kind of thing, she was begging people to, to call her out on it. Right. Please, and he, some, and please somebody ask me about this. But he, he also did it. He must have done it in a way like without hearing it, with just reading it doesn't do it justice. They're because, longtime friends. I mean, right, it was right. Like, there's there's it more. It was not that. the first time they ever met. Right. They okay. had an established relationship where like. She he would have been comfortable asking her a joke question because I don't think he realized the full weight of what he was asking her. Right. But I had you asked me about something like that, and and like at the time before I was out, I mean, I would have like immediately, especially if I didn't know you. If it's different if I knew you, but like if I didn't know you, like I would immediately just strike back. Like there's right. there's like that's your that's your that's your reaction. You punch back, and and yeah. I so yeah, no, that's 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 really interesting though. <laughs> But um, this, I'm trying to think where to where we go from here, where to even start. Um, in the fallout of this, um, Jay, Andrew, and Jordan Kleeman, who had stepped back in as the manager after the famous incident where they fired their manager, uh, all quit the band. Um, Not because of this, but Laura said that um, there had been a lot of mounting tensions. uh, uh, And Andrew in particular was really frustrated with sort of the direction the band was going and felt like that he was not involved in any way anymore with the creative process and uh the music is changing too sure absolutely like the first thing i thought with this this album that we're going to talk about is how different it was from where they started like this is yeah they're but they're a very different band despite membership changing like it's just a different sure absolutely uh and jordan just kind of had gotten overwhelmed and laura said that she really felt like um When she when she came out and she was so open and honest 
with everyone that made them really reflect on their own lives and realize that they just weren't interested in doing this anymore. And uh, so, yeah, there's a lot of lineup changes going into this album. Uh, this album like almost didn't happen. There's a ton to, that we will get into in a minute, but I wanted to spend uh, uh, as much time as we could on Laura coming out because I mean, it was a major news story at the time. It was, yeah. it was a big deal. Laura really was one of the first like transgender celebrities to transition publicly in the way that she did. And like, even at that time, 10 years ago, it was a very different time. Yeah. And like, I think (laughs) um, a lot of people did not know how to take what was happening. Well, Um, I remember, I mean, I didn't know against me, but I remember hearing this story, like yeah. hearing about Laura, Laura's transition. And then, I mean, that's honestly, when we started this podcast, that's really all I knew about this. This movie. Right. Yeah. Um, but it got to me. And I mean, that was, that's, that's something. I mean, it was a, it was a major news story for a while. Um, I remember like, not, really understanding what it even meant to be trans at that time. I just thought like, well, look, I don't know. All I knew was like, this is my favorite fucking band. And if she's trans and like, great. That's the only thought I had about it at all. And uh, I remember I remember, I wore my Against Me shirt to the comic book store one time, uh, about a month after this. And then one of the guys there was like, ah, oh, you know, you like Against Me? And I was like, yeah. And of course, the only thing anybody would ever want to talk to you about if you wore that shirt, when I wore that shirt, it was like the transition. He's like, well, what do you think about that? And I was like, hey, man, I don't know. You know, I don't really know what's going on with that. But, you know, like, hey, if it, she's happy with it then like cool great and he just looks so relieved (laughs) that was my response and he was like oh good good (laughs) but um i mean one thing laura talked about and we'll get into it here is that um there was an immediate change in the crowds at the shows i bet like the like she talked about like she comes out they do that next tour she's laura and all the hecklers are gone. Like nobody's saying you're a sellout. Like all those people are gone. And yeah. like, there's a new audience that like, she talked about a lot of people were coming that like, didn't even necessarily care about punk or know any against me songs. They just wanted to be around Laura because her being so public gave them the strength Uh to transition. And one of the things that she talks about uh, in the article was there was a 21 year old girl who wrote her a letter talking about how uh, her music had helped her realize that she was transgender and uh, she came out. And so that was Laura in the article meets up with her and sort of comes out to her as one of the first people that she 
uh, comes out too soon. <laughs> I, I, I mean, it was a very powerful thing for people at the time. Um, which is unsurprising. And, and here's, here's, here's why. And we talked about this in a different context. You asked me in the discord, you were like, I don't want to, I don't want you to get mad at me for this question. And I was like, what is it? And you're like, why do gay guys love these well, old women? <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I, I can get mad at it. All. I did. I, you know, honestly appreciated the question. And I just said, it's because I think LGBT, LGBT, LGBTQ people are so starved for people in, 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 you know, high visibility media. They want somebody that they can relate to. And we haven't had that, you know, and for a long time, it was like, when you find somebody that they, they don't even have to represent what you are, but they, they there's something about them that relates to your life or your lifestyle. That connection is real. And it doesn't surprise me at all that, that, you know, Laura would start, attracting a much more trans and queer community because they're like, wow, look at this rock star. And, and they're, you know, going through this, this, this thing that no one wants to talk about, or most people don't understand. And I want to be near this person because of that. You know I mean? It's, it's really, she said one thing that would, that started happening around that time was that the, like, and a lot of shows, the venue staff would say, like, your crowd was like the best crowd we've ever had. Yeah. You're all so nice. <laughs> and she's like, that really made her feel good that, like, after all these years of, like, I mean, she talked about even into the, like, White Crosses era, like, people are still coming to the shows to, like, shit on the band. And, like, wild. And, like, um, this was, like, one, she talked about one of the, one of the few bright spots about transitioning was like the audience accepting it and like finally finding her crowd. Yeah. Like, like her, her people. Yeah. And um, so another thing that would happen, and we're not going to spend too much time on this uh, because I think it's very personal and it's not really my place to talk about people's relationships, but it ultimately would lead to a divorce. Um, Heather was super supportive at first. Like, and when Laura came out, it was just like, I'm your wife. I'm with you. Like, and, and Laura talks about like her being very protective. Like she started going on tour and saying like, her name is Laura and you would dress her as she, and like, you know, um, and she talked about like, they had a lot of problems in their marriage, like before she transitioned. And then, um, Ultimately, the the short uh, story is that eventually Heather realized, you know, I'm not a lesbian. I married a man and he's gone. And uh, that's like a really heavy thing that Laura had to go through uh, as a result of transitioning because one of her biggest fears was losing Heather because of it. And we'll get into that more with one of the songs uh, on the album. It, it cost her a lot. Uh, and she talked about how difficult it is to transition and constantly having to talk to therapists and medical people who don't believe you, trying to talk you out of it. Um, I think the thing that struck me the most about all of this was that like Laura talks about being very suicidal at times 
Uh, at one point, she just quits cold turkey on her hormone therapy, um, which she said was a really horrible idea, like really did bad damage to like her mental state. Uh, and um, the thing I kept thinking about was like, she has a very safe and like comfortable life. The, the risk was low. I mean, it cost her a lot personally, but like, wasn't going to cost her her job. You know what I mean? It wasn't, it was it wasn't going to cost her like her close friends for a lot of people. Like you think, right. Well, lose, but have so many people transition and then they're just, they just have nothing. Yeah. They, they, yep. they, they lose their life. They lose their job. They lose their home. They lose everything. It was very like, I'm not trying to knock Laura, but it's like, the, it, it wasn't, it wasn't like, it wasn't as dangerous as it is for so many people. And like, yet it took such a toll on her yeah. and, I, and almost cost her everything. One of the things when I started planning this show out, last year that i wanted to do was to come on here and go well you know 10 years ago when laura transitioned it was a different time but look now things are so much better things have like really gotten better and uh silly silly, (laughs) Dwayne. this year uh things have gotten like so so much worse uh worse than i ever could have even predicted yeah so quickly and um i don't I, i don't even know what to say uh about that other than it just sucks. <laughs> it's it's a it's a it's a it's a more targeting a hyper hyper specific group of people. It's very and, frustrating. The amount of people that are trans is so few in the grand scheme of things. And yet, like, they're also, like, maybe the most vulnerable people, like, in our society. Absolutely. And and so it is so fucking frustrating to see so many fucking people who have such privileged lives target these fucking people. And it it really drives me insane Um, because I just, there's no reason to do it other than just, like, being a hateful, yep. horrible person. Yep. And uh well, and I guess it fi- is financially beneficial for people like Dave Chappelle to say that kind of things. But it's getting really scary. It is. Um teachers aren't allowed to like call people by the right names and shit. And it's yeah. just it's you insane. Would, I mean you would also think by the, the amount of clamor that that these bigots and you know transphobic idiots make that this would be that they're targeting you know a population of 20 percent of the people in this country and it's just not it, it, it's not that i mean and, I think and like go ahead no i just i, I don't know i it, it gets to me and i i when you read laura's read laura's book um she really does a great job of describing like what the day-to-day feeling of being transgender is like and just like how everything you do is a struggle and you're constantly in doubt 
about everything. And then everyone that you interact with is constantly trying to convince you that you don't know what you're talking about and that you must be mistaken and that you shouldn't be taking this medication and you shouldn't be having these surgeries because well, what if you change your mind and what, and just like how intensely uh, demoralizing that alone is. And then to just have like literal children be under attack by adults is terrifying. Monster. Um, let's get into the main thing that we came here to talk about today. Main event which is the album Transgender Dysphoria Blues, which came out on January 21st, 2014, on Total Treble Records. And Austin, Total Treble Records is Laura's own record label. Essentially, what happened was when she left Sire, she had a couple offers to sign with some labels. She also had an offer to basically sign a distribution deal which would give her some seed money to sort of start her own label and build her own studio and that is what she decided to do uh she built her own studio which uh was very short-lived uh but some of this album was recorded in it and your producer on this album is laura jane grace wow uh, yes so this is i mean this is about as self-made as a band as established against me can make an album like it came out on her label she produced it she wrote all the songs she was in like total control of all the art direction and everything um so on this album austin against me is laura jane grace on vocals and bass on all but two songs James Bowman on guitar and Adam Willard on the drums. He was basically invited onto a tour and he clicked with the band right away. They really liked his playing style. He really clicked with them. Um, He started out in a band called rocket from the crypt. He would end up playing drums for the offspring and also Angels and Airwaves, which is uh, Tom DeLonge's band that he would do after Blink-182. So this guy has really had a pretty interesting uh, career and played with some really interesting bands. Yeah. Um, And basically what happened was they met on Twitter uh, after (laughs) Jay um left the band laura basically tweeted out one day does anybody know any drummers and adam dm'd her and said are you serious about this i would really like to be in the band and she was like yes let's do it nice so they tried him out for a tour and they really liked it i'm aware of rocket from the crypt i don't know if i've heard a bunch but i know the band Cool. Uh, I don't know the offspring, though. I have no idea. You don't know the offspring? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We won't talk about the offspring right now. <laughs> no, I don't want to talk about the offspring. Yeah. <laughs> I will say this. I saw Angels and Airwaves twice when Adam was in the band. Uh, and he's one of the few musicians that I actually have my photograph with. Um, oh, that's cool. Yeah. My brother went to Japan for a year uh when we were in college and so before he left we went to a concert 
to see angels and airwaves and say anything was the opener. And uh, he bought us VIP packages. So I have my photo with Adam and also with Tom DeLong, which I'm pretty stoked about that one. That's cool. um, yeah. So Laura was the basis on all but two songs. For Unconditional Love and Fuck My Life 666, uh, they had a fill-in bassist. And would you like to take a guess of who played bass on these songs? It is. So, I'll tell you this. It is someone that we have talked about previously on the show. Oh, I was going to say Hulk Hogan, but no, that because, you know. <laughs> yeah, they caught up Hulk and they said, Hulk. Remember, the, he's got that story. Yeah, where he, well, he was like, in Metallica. Yeah, he yeah. played bass for Metallica. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, oh, God, I have no idea. It was Fat Mike. Wow. <laughs> yes. So Fat Mike was very briefly a member of Against Me. Wow. What a uh, twist. Essentially what happened was Laura built her studio. Uh, she actually had her father and brother help her like do the repairs. They did it all themselves. Um, and then a hurricane destroyed it. I wonder uh, when you said short lived, I was thinking, yeah, wow. uh, completely totaled the studio. They went and recorded parts of this album in Valdosta, Georgia, of all places. Uh, and they weren't super happy with the sessions there. Um, at this point, things are looking pretty rough. People are leaving the band, the studios got destroyed. They just did a recording session that they're not very happy with. And at this point, Laura's wondering if like, if we should even bother making this album, maybe let's just quit and give up. Andrew's gone. Jordan's gone. Like it's a totally different band. We don't have any backing from any labels anymore. We're all on our own. Uh, so she calls Fat Mike and he is like, why don't you come down to my studio and uh, try again and work it out? And so she needed uh, some bass parts done on a couple of songs. And so Mike was around. So he filled in. So Mike's so studio is in Georgia? No, 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 no. Oh, because you know who's from. Uh, oh, I know. Del That's Delta. why I mentioned that town specifically. <laughs> that, that is where Dalton is from. Yes. Right. Otherwise, I would not. I would not even have mentioned that second uh, recording session if it not had been where. He would have been Dalton's. mad if we had not said his name, yeah. though. That's the thing. Dalton's hometown. So, yeah. But no, Fat Mike Studio is, I think, in California. But uh, don't quote me on that one. But um, she talked about in her book many times and especially here that Mike was always a guy that she could lean on and gave her really good advice and was always very supportive. And so I'm, I'm, I'm having to rethink things Austin, because I had certain feelings about fat Mike in the, in recent <laughs> years, he's not been like somebody that I've been like a huge fan of what he's been up to uh even though i really really loved no effects uh when i was in high school right but uh knowing that he was he was actually in against me i think people have to be nice to him now i think <laughs> you know what i mean we got it's it now yeah, you yeah. don't have a choice. You now cut it out. You gotta be, yeah, yeah. When he's up there doing something that you think is really annoying or inappropriate, you just gotta hey, let him do it. You know, it's, he was in against me. He's a good yeah. for two songs. Yeah, 
yeah, he didn't tour with them or, right. or, or a cup anything of coffee. Like <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But uh, I just found that uh, very funny and interesting. What a, what a unique piece of history that, right. that Mike have, was would not have to me. <laughs> wouldn't have guessed that if you gave me a million tries. Never. Yeah. This album ended up being number 23 on the Billboard charts, which was their best ranking ever. It did not sell the most copies because in between White Crosses and this album, a lot of the ways that they measured uh, album sales and stuff changed. But it, it did place the best. Okay. 23 is pretty impressive for what is essentially a self-released album. And it's not like they were coming off like a really hot major label run either. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> so Laura was very, very uh, proud of that. And um, the one thing that she says is that when she started writing the album, she told the band that it was a concept album about a transgender prostitute because uh, she did not, <laughs> she was still not ready to out herself. And uh, we'll get into one story in particular where she finally had to go like, okay, here's, here's what's going on. Uh, okay. Cause I read something about, I mean, I try to avoid all this stuff beforehand yeah. because that's what makes the show. Um, but I did read something where uh, there were comments and I saw this a couple of times where they were like, Laura was, was originally writing this as a concept album. Um, there are elements of that. And, okay, uh, but that's still a in story, the story, we'll or was that just a cover story for her to tell people? It's a little bit of both. Okay. The concept album idea was a cover story for writing more autobiographical songs, mm-hmm. but the in the early songs that she wrote, she is trying to write them about another person right. and not herself so that she is not outing herself. But at least initially when they're working on this album in like 2011, 2012, she's not telling people okay. uh, what's going on. Uh, it was very well reviewed. I mean, you, you, you're not going to find a lot of negative reviews of this album. Most right. people were very, uh, very favorable towards it. Cause it's Ta- good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Time Magazine called this the fourth best album of 2014 in their top 10 list. She beat out Lana Del Rey and Taylor Swift here. Rightfully. Um, rightfully. Yeah, I think so. And what are either of them doing now? Nothing. <laughs> Fucking nothing. So um, the biggest criticism that I saw, uh, both from fan reviews and from critics, which I don't think is totally unfair is that musically uh she didn't take a lot of chances here it's 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 pretty standard punk rock fair it's slick that's for sure yeah yes uh what do you think about that you think that's fair to say or you think that's i don't think that's fair well okay okay yes i do think it's fair i but i i also think that like i i almost don't know what you want from her because right lyrically it's very much pushing. i think we just had two albums where she really experimented with her their sound and it was time to get back to the roots of what made this band work in but also like what what do you what do you want i mean like this is this is an exercise that a songwriter is pushing to really bear their soul on an album okay so maybe musically it's not 
pushing the boundary, I but I think that like from a for this artist's evolution, this is a huge step. I mean, this is someone that went sure. from that went from like primary- I don't I don't think it's necessarily a, a critic's job to know or care about that. Like yeah, their no, job right. is to you're review right. the Absolutely. album that is presented to them. But but I but I I agree with everything that you're saying. But I was I I think that that is not an unfair. No, I, I I saw some people going like, well, this just sounds like Green Day, which I thought is like totally out of line. Yeah, that's but I don't. That's <laughs> just nonsense. But I don't think it's unfair to say that she did not do a lot of interesting experimenting. Yeah. <clears throat> she did not do a lot of interesting experimentation musically because that's not what this album was setting out to do. What I, but here's what I heard. I heard this is an album that is taken from every album that's come before. Right. Sure. And like you've experimented around and, and you, you now are going to put all the pieces together and find yeah. something that works. And I, I think that that, that is and having the benefit of like listening to each of these albums multiple times, yeah. but in an order, it's like you're picking up like little things from different albums and you're putting them together in, in this sure. way. That's like, Hey, Look what I've been working towards this entire time. This this in many ways feels like the most against me album possible. Right. Like this is the culmination of everything that has I come before. Have yeah. no yeah argument with that. Before yeah. we get into the songs or what we really thought about the album overall, just from like a pure production standpoint, this is their best album. This sounds really good. Oh, yeah. Like it it sounds clean. And slick, but it doesn't lose that raw feel. It still sounds like a band actually is performing these songs live and not like it's not hacked up to death. And um, the other thing is like the drums are definitely mixed, like noticeably more prominent. And I think that's just Laura being happier with. I mean, it, it I don't want to bash Warren because he played on like all their great albums. But like when I was listening with an ear for drums, because it was something Laura really talked about being really happy once Adam came in, like if you're listening for it, like you definitely notice like a big change, like right. the rhythm section here is like a lot more solid. These songs really flow well and like really sound complete. I would, I, I thought vocally Laura sounded the best that she's ever sounded. Well, I mean, her voice has changed. Obviously. And her, her voice has changed, but I also just thought like she, she found. She's, this... she's really singing more than yelling here. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. That's, that's, exactly yeah. what it is. that's what I, and I was like, I, I, I enjoy yeah. that. I appreciate that. And that yeah. for me was a big change. She, she talked a lot about um, how working with Butch was like, really educational and she learned so much about the technical elements of music and how to put songs together and that she really wanted to do this on her own as like a tribute to him yeah to 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 show like you know i was i was really paying attention i was also to prove to people that she could and also to prove to herself like yeah you know that she could do this i mean she she talked about like she um she was really just interested in being involved in all facets of the industry and just trying to get her fingers in as many things as she could. So, um, I mean, I think she did a really great job. I, I, I think like I've already said, like 
production here is like excellent. This this album sounds fantastic. I'm not talking about like the quality of any of the songs or the lyrics or anything. I'm talking about like just like production. This sounds great. Yeah. Um, just a few overall thoughts. I mean, this is a very quick album. This moves fast. Yeah. They they are not wasting any time on this one like the songs are really tight she's got a lot to say there's a lot packed in but like we are not messing around here like we're going boom 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 and uh yeah that's what i'm really looking for from uh this kind of music so i uh, was really happy with that so austin before we get into the songs themselves just just what were some overall thoughts that you had about this um, I think it's, I mean, it was musically was a lot of fun. Then you read the lyrics or pay attention to the lyrics and you're like, <laughs> oof, this is, this is a ride, but it's important. You know I mean? It felt like an important album. It, it felt like it was probably important to Laura. This I is think, almost like her like magnum opus or something. Like yeah. That. And I, but I think like, the response from people and her audience means that it's also an important album for people people that are listening you know like like the fans of of this and so i think that that's that there's something i think there's something to that i think it makes it you know really special that it finds an audience that finds this music important you know yeah i mean the, the, it's clearly an extremely personal album for laura um i talked about on the new wave episode that um I just kind of stopped looking at comments for songs uh, <laughs> for this one. I went back because the white crosses, I actually did not look at any comments on. I usually look at like genius and song meanings.com <laughs> and uh, one or two other sites if I can find things, but for white crosses, I just didn't even bother because the new wave, the comments were so bad, but for this one, Man, I saw some really touching and just like heartbreaking comments yeah. of people going like, this is exactly how I feel. Like she she nailed it. Um <laughs> before we'll just get into it now. Uh with the first song that we're gonna talk about, which is the title track. I saw multiple comments people going like this is a perfect depiction of how much it sucks to be trans like yeah yeah <laughs> um well not sucks to be trans but sucks. no that's what they said oh really yeah wow. i think i think that is i'm gonna be very careful here i don't want to say anything offensive but i think that that is one thing laura wanted to stress and that the album is trying to get across to people is like it's not good to be trans like it doesn't really benefit you in any way and is that uh, but is that the i mean is that the only reason i push back on that and, and maybe that's not my place because i'm not you know i'm not trans and i'm not in laura's shoes but is it because i don't think it's the act of being trans it's the act of being trans in our society i think because if there was no stigma 
right? If you didn't get, I think I okay. And again, I don't know. You know, I can only go off of what I've read, right? And Laura and others say, and let her speak for herself. I think even if there was no stigma, it is still an incredibly awful thing to feel like you um, are not in the right body and that no matter what you do, you're never going to be in the body that you want. Um, And I think that is sort of what this first song is about. So let's just go ahead and get right into that, uh, which is transgender dysphoria blues, which is sort of what she is talking about here um with that song um the sort of feeling of like you just never feel like you're who you want to be yeah no matter what and uh and i and i don't want to say that it's that experience for everyone and again i i really worry about uh saying things on behalf of other people. Right. I will tell you a funny story about this song. Uh, Cause it's gotten into some pretty heavy stuff, like right off the gate. Uh, one of the few lighthearted stories that we'll tell uh, in the book, Laura talks about um, the first time that they all played this song together. They've all got like their ear monitors on so they can kind of hear like what's being sung, but not really, you know, so they, they play it. And uh, after it, James sort of takes Laura aside and he goes, Hey, are you saying faggot on this one? Because it sounds like you're saying it a lot. Like, are people going to be cool with that? Or, and that is the moment that she realized, like, Oh God, I've got to tell them. Right. Right. I've got to let them know. Yeah. It's, I mean, I wrote it was, it's what? Hard. Okay. Good. What do you, as a queer person feel about the use of that word on the song? Do you feel that it's justified or do you think it's not? I think, I think context and the speaker is everything. And I think it's, I personally am fine with it. And I do have an aversion to use that word. I think sometimes people throw it around or use it as like, certainly like in 2022, it's one of the most loaded words that, you it's, can use yeah but and i i think in 2014 like it wouldn't have been as shocking that wasn't that long ago but i uh, I, I think it's i think it's i mean listen i've had issues with artists that have used that word but not in the connotation that it's being used here this is someone you know that that is telling their story and this is part of it Right. Yeah. And they're being true to themselves in the story. This is not this is not calling it outward. Right. This is this is taking that word and and pointing it inward. And I think it's fine. I I, I really like this song. You know, I this is a fucking great song. It's a great song. Like this is a fucking fantastic opener. It's fast paced, it's energy, like just musically, like it fucking is so good and catchy. And uh and you and I want to sing along, but you know, I don't, I'm not, <laughs> I'm a couple, like, couple words you can skip when you <laughs> yeah, do it. But, uh, but this, have you ever heard I mean, it? This is a fantastic song. Like I love this song. This is a great song. 
Uh, it's dealing with some very heavy stuff, but like it's 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 a super fun song about some really dark shit. Yeah. Well, and I, you know, I again, I think we're probably going to say this a lot. Like, I can't speak to someone else's experience, but I can talk about sure. it's. I live in New York City. It's a lot easier to live here as an out gay person. Like, it's just it is. It's sure. there's a lot more. You know, there's there's a lot more of a community in the sense that it's accepted, but it's it's hard enough getting through as a like white cis gay man, which is what I am. You know, like that's that's challenging. Like there's, you know, uh, especially if you get outside of these big cities or when you try to travel around the world, like it's one of those things. It's like you got to check to make sure that you're not going to get lynched as soon as you get off the the plane. You know, I mean, like really, there right. there are places I I can't visit. So I it, I can't even imagine what it's like being trans and and just having so much more of that that you have to deal with on a day to day basis. But okay. Oh, I was just gonna say, I really I was like, it's a heartbreaking song, and I I hate it because it brings up a lot. But I also am like, this is a fantastic vehicle for this message to be delivered because it is such a good song. The lyric that really stands out to me here. They hold their breath yep. not to catch the sick. Yep. Yep. And she talks about, um, you know, when she would go shopping and buying clothes and people just like being so disgusted. Oh, yeah. Being just awful. It's it's the same thing when the AIDS, uh, you know, epidemic was going on where like people were like, oh, I won't share food with a gay person, you know, give it back and or, you know, won't use the same bathroom as a gay person because of AIDS. Let's move on to song number two, which is True Trans Soul Rebel. This is one of the early songs that she wrote where she's like not yet talking about herself. She's trying to make it about a fictional person. And this is sort of like a little, sometimes the lyrics are kind of going back and forth between being in the first and third person here. Right. But but this is one of the first songs she wrote where she's still kind of trying to figure out how to write about this stuff. Um, musically, to me, this is like a like a great like classic rock song. Yeah. You can almost see like Bob Seger or somebody. This one. <laughs> it's a rally cry. That's what, yeah. that's, you know, like that's what it is. Bob Seger. I would love to hear a Bob Seger cover of this song. <laughs> like don't change a single lyric. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's an anthem, you know, and she has a lot of anthems yeah. that she's written. It's. And I think um, it's sort of about how it's not always glamorous to be like a pioneer. Like uh, a lot of times you really struggle when you are the first person to be so upfront. Um, and it's also, you know, it's just, she had a lot of doubts about transitioning once she actually made the decision to do it. And uh, because one of the things that she talked about is like, just almost anyone that you have to talk to, in order to transition is not on your side and is trying to like talk you out tell you that you don't know what you're talking about right um but she also says this is one of her favorite songs to do live that I like can only imagine yeah um she talked about um in her book that um she loves to hear the crowd sing along with this yeah. one and that um, 
yeah, this is really one of her favorite songs. Um, but before I say anything else, what do you think about this one? I, I mean, I really enjoyed. I think this yeah. is definitely one of the top songs on this album for me. I, I just, it's, it's, it's a banger. I, I mean, when I, I heard it, I, it's I, very I, good. Yeah, I was, yeah, I was like, this is a live. This is a song that you sing live. Yeah, get the audience back in to whatever you know. Like you may play that slower song. That this, you know, this is the first album I think since Reinventing Axel Rose that that has that sort of feel of like yeah. these songs feel like they're live. Right. And then, and there's an energy in the recording, but there's also like, it's very easy to, to hear these translated into a live show with an entire crowd of people singing the same. Absolutely. Back yeah. You. Um, I think the big lyric here that stood out is um, yet to be born. You're already dead. Yeah. Um, and that, and that's more of talking about, um, how sort of the dysphoria feels of like um, she hasn't <laughs> come out yet as Laura, but Tom is already gone. Right. And sort of this middle ground of not knowing where to, what to do exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like like a lot of the songs on this album, if you just sort of listen to it in passing, it's a very fun and catchy song. And the more that you dig into it, it is actually about some very heavy uh subject matter. Um that was, whole- that was my experience with this album. I, I listened to it a few times and I was like, This is fun. I listened in the background because that's how I start all these <laughs> there, albums. There was one song in particular uh that I and we'll get to it when we get to the song that I've always really liked. And I've just never like super paid like close attention, I guess, to the lyrics. <laughs> Cause I was like, well, this one's not really about anything that heavy. This one's, you know. And then when I started researching, I was like, oh no, this is actually one of the worst ones. I think you tipped me off into this one. On, uh, and so. um, All right. The last thing I want to say about this yep. one is uh, there is also an acoustic version, which I did not make Austin listen to. Um, Appreciate that. I don't think I like an acoustic version of this song, i got to be honest. Well, um, you know, like I said, uh, we're not going to go into every song that they've ever recorded, but I do want to talk about as many things as I possibly can. Uh, Basically what happened is they released a free EP that was acoustic versions of this song and Fuck My Life. Six six six. Um, you cannot find it on streaming, uh, but you can find it pretty easy on YouTube. If you just look for the True Transil Rebel EP, it pops up. I will say, uh, you were right in your assumption. The acoustic version of this song is not one of my favorites. Uh, <laughs> just like this is such a great high energy song, and it, yeah. acoustically it just doesn't no. it just doesn't work. But I just want to mention those are out there if you want to look into them. Are you ready to move on to song number three? Do it. All right. It is called Unconditional Love, and this is probably one of the darkest songs on the album. Laura talks about when she came out, she was really pushing the limits of people's love. You know, she talked about being really scared to call her parents. Are they going to understand? Are they still going to love me as Laura? Um, And having a lot of feelings of doubt and being really suicidal. And uh, 
you know, she talks about just feeling like there was just no one she could turn to at the time to talk about the things that she was going through and also feeling like even, even if everyone is accepting, it's still not enough to, to make me feel um, fulfilled. Right. What do you think about this one? (laughs) So I'm going to read my notes as I wrote them out. They were very stream of conscious, right? So I started because I quoted a lyric and it was, you made me want to smoke cigarettes. You made me want to drink whiskey. Even if your love was unconditional, it still wouldn't be enough to save me. And this is exactly what I wrote. I'm just going to read it. It said, coming out to her wife, question mark. And then I wrote, this is a fucking nightmare. Trans suicides. Holy shit. And then this is an, in all caps, important album. <laughs> so that's, that's where I was. That was the entire, like, as I listened to the song, the things that I started to think about, and I was just like, this is a fucking nightmare. But uh, one thing um, we're not going to do is come at you with like a bunch of facts and figures and shit. And that's not really like my forte. That's not what I think that this podcast is here to do but i mean the number of transgender people who are suicidal and end up killing themselves is like unreal yeah really really um really tragic and i think laura really really wanted to highlight that on this album um because it i mean even now, but especially then in 2014, it's just something no one was talking about. Nobody is addressing this. And, um, you know, I can only imagine what it must be like for just every person that you ever talk to in your life to doubt <clears throat> the, the thing that is like the core of who you are. Your objective truth. Yeah. Um, I just, I, I really can't even wrap my brain around it. And it's why I've been so nervous about doing this is I don't think that I have the capacity to sort of address these issues in like with the gravity that they need to be handled that's, with. That's but, when you uh, let the music, that's when you let Laura do it. Yeah, right? I mean, absolutely. Like that's, that's, that's why we look up these materials and that's why we like even talking about these issues that we're not experts and we may not be the proper people to talk about it. It's like, we're just, we're we're holding Laura's work up to to the light and and saying, hey, this is she is speaking honestly about this, and she spoke yeah. to many different forms about it. Uh, I know for me, um, uh, I don't want to talk about this. There's definitely been periods of my life where. I was like suicidal, not, not to like a heavy degree, but I think the biggest thing that helped me was listening to music where people talked about suicide and like killing themselves. And that really made me feel better, you know? Because well, you just so, you were alone. Yeah. You know, and, and I think, um, I think this album really like is trying to be a lifeline for people and reach out and, and really, uh, touch people and let them know that uh, 
it's okay. Even if everything's terrible, it's going to be all right. Yeah. I mean, I, I think this album has gone from me never listening to it, but knowing it existed to now, I really think this is an important album in music. I, I, I think it's I, what I think we, uh, we talked about this off air. I don't think we actually talked about this on the air, but uh, I usually, I, I'll usually listen to these like, uh, like every day for like seven or eight days. Maybe, maybe I'll listen to it like 10 times. I had to listen to this like 20 times. Yeah. I'd say for the last six, five or six days, I've listened to it like twice a day. Just like I'll wake up and listen to it and I'll listen to it on my drive home from work. And like, cause it, cause it moves so fast. It's so quick. Like if, if you like, yeah, it's, it's really, it's just like a perfect album. I don't know if it's my favorite against me album or, like I don't know if I'd even say this is like one of my favorite like albums necessarily. Although I I really think a lot more highly of it now than I did right. at the time. But uh, it's certainly just like it's like a perfect piece of art. Right, and you can acknowledge that without it being your favorite album, right? Yeah, Taste is- and and dude, I mean, when I have to sit down and think about like what do I think is the best album, like this is in the mix now. <laughs> like I thought, like well, it's either reinvented Axl Rose or Cowboy. That's one of those is my number one. But now it's like, well, I don't know. This might be. Now it's more complicated. That, that, We've that top the three of the album <laughs> ranking that we have to do in just a few episodes now is is going to be very difficult. But let's move on, Austin, to a song that I feel like you are probably going to have a lot of thoughts on, and that is called "Drinking with the Jocks." Um. And this is a song about trying to fit in yeah. with like the masculine uh, crew, I guess. And just the regret that she feels later in her life of not being true to herself. Uh, but what, what do you have to say about this one? Uh, I, this is assimilation. I mean, this is what it is. This yeah. is, this is beyond, I think. So I, do a thing i think a lot i think other people do it i mean i'm not gonna put not gonna air out anybody's laundry but my own but i code switch when i talk to different people and i sort of knew i did it but i recently had a coworker who called me out not in a bad way in a gentle way about how i do it because i had been working on a construction project at they're probably worried their jobs on the line with you around fucking <laughs> <Nah>. foreman out here <laughs> no I, I i like i i was working on a construction site i'm not in construction but like we were we were renovating a new office space so i was having okay. to deal with electricians with like sure you know data wiring and like tradesmen really you know and yeah. that's that's sort of a typically straight you know kind of macho thing to do there's a lot of these like old union guys here in new york and and so when i would talk to them i spoke to them differently than i would talk to my coworkers. and 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 i think it was just that's code switching that's like basing your your manner of speech or behavior around those are around you and so she she called me out and she was like I like when you use your construction guy voice. And that was, that was her joking with me. And I was yeah. like, yeah, yeah, I definitely do that. And I don't know why I do it. Um, but it's definitely something that um, happens when I, when I'm in those situations. And I think it's something, it's a natural thing for a lot of people, but I think if you're, you're 
putting out this image of yourself in front of certain people, it, this is what you get. And it's, it's I mean, not, I know great. that for me, just even as like a straight guy, I just, there's like that period in my life of like, I want the cool people to like me. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Even, even something yeah. like that, even if it's not like, and I will do any, I'll do anything to make that happen. Like, and then you realize like, well, why? <laughs> you know? Um, but um, this is just a quick, fast song that's very straightforward. There's there's no ambiguity here. Uh, yes. Yeah. Well, yeah, I don't know. I I think I, I heard this one hit a little closer and I was like, eh, okay. I mean, I know why it's there. I'm not sure I love this song. But I will okay. say it's it's not one of my favorite songs. Okay. But um, yeah. All right, let's move on to song number five, which is Osama bin Laden as the crucified Christ. And uh, this is a song that I was talking about earlier where I thought, like, it's about one thing. And then when I actually read (laughs) interviews and uh, people's uh, sort of take on the song, it is actually about something very different. Um, before we get into that, one thing, uh, a lot of people did not like this title at the time. Uh, they felt that, like, it was too much shock value. Like, um, and I I kind of agree. It's, 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 yeah. it's kind of corny and it's out of character for Laura. But... She was trying to make a point. She was being shocking as a way to drive attention to the point that she was trying to get across. Um, And that is that a lot of trans people are forced into sex work uh, where they are often mistreated or killed or end up killing themselves. and sort of using Bin Laden and Mussolini as uh, metaphors for how reviled trans people are in society. Um, it has that great opening riff, and like musically, like it sounds really cool. And she's doing like uh, different effects and like messing with like the volume at different times. This is a really well-constructed, like really, really strong song. And then when you actually like do break down the lyrics and, and look at what she is trying to say, like it's, it's very powerful. Yeah. It's a lot of the the metaphors are strong in that. I mean, I mean, it was only like, when I started listening to this song for this podcast that I understood like what it was actually about and like what, because I always kind of looked at this song as like, yeah, okay. You're doing like the Bin Laden thing. It's just like, <laughs> right. It's not, you know what it's I mean? not about Bin Laden. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. And I was like, Oh, you know, and uh and then but then when you when you actually really break down the lyrics and, and read them closely like it's uh well it's it's, it's also- really it's really really tragic what i want a song to be is like fast 
and upbeat and then just about like the most depressing thing that you can think of to sing about that to me is like perfect music that's exactly what i want love this fucking love this song great song it's yeah i mean it it touches on a lot it touches on like and you said this too like the the fetish, the fetish, fetishization. Yeah, that's another thing of that uh, she's talking about. Trans here. bodies. It's talking yeah. about you know, pity fucks and table scraps, a blindfold and a ball gag, and it's really that's there's there's a part of that, and it's a there's you know, it's not good. Yes, and it's and it's, I mean, a big thing that gets people killed is that people are attracted to transgender people. And they feel a great deal of shame about that. And that gets people murdered. And it's like a a very real thing that a lot of transgender people have to deal with. And uh, I think think in that sense, like the the Bin Laden uh, references and stuff are, are earned because she actually is making like she she's being shocking for like the right reason yeah yeah it's like she the title of the song is meant to like draw your attention and go like what the fuck is this but then like once you she's like actually got something to say yeah it's not just it's not i always thought this is just a dumb title that was thrown on there for like no reason but actually it's like very deliberate and of, i should i should know better than to doubt laura austin <laughs> of course she didn't just do something for no fucking reason like she never well, does well i think i think there's a there's what i wrote on this and this is more like maybe an overall statement for this album but if this song specifically i was like the sound i mean the the, the music was just fantastic by point yeah. like bombastic is what i said i don't know if i like that word very much but that's what i felt at the time so <laughs> i wrote it uh but i but i said this is a band that has come and i think it's at this point halfway through this album this is a band that's come a long way from those early eps right oh yeah they've they've never been an unserious band they've always been a very serious band like there's fun stuff in there but laura's always had something to say and she's yeah. going to tell you what's on her mind you know yeah but it, they've moved from like dismantling systems and and politics to something that is very personal and profound on this record and it yeah. was like it's just like the, the 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 hits not in like the musical hits but they keep coming you just kind of explain something that i've been having a hard time trying to figure out how to articulate um the first few against me albums are about very big concepts we're, we're taking on the system. We're tackling, uh, you know, preconceived notions about belief systems and, you know, all that kind of thing. And this, and slowly as we get into new wave white crosses, the album's lyrics start to become more personal. And then here, literally every song is just about Laura's personal life. But in doing that, she is actually able to touch more people than ever before. Yes. Because she is talking about experiences that other people are not talking about. Yep. And that, 
that touches people in a much deeper way. Singing about anarchy generically. Yeah. Uh, and, and those songs are great. And I love those. I mean, I love that album, but you're absolutely right. This is like, you know, uh, something more real and sincere than anything she's ever made. And I, and I also say that I don't know that that was Andrew's issue. She doesn't go into what Andrew's issues are, but she did say that he was unhappy with a lot of the direction of the band and feeling like he wasn't involved in the process. And I could certainly see how if you're Andrew you're listening to these songs and just kind of going like, what are we doing now? Right. Who are like, we? This is not, this who we is started. just, this is just about you. Right. Like this doesn't have anything to do with any of us anymore. Yeah. Like you, like I think the, the first, especially the first against me album and, and like into like the second and third into new wave, it's like, She's singing like on behalf of the band. We're against me and we're here right. to say this thing. And on this album, I mean she's this, like, I'm against me. This this might as well have been a solo album. Yeah. And and I could and I could see where like holding nothing against her for being transgender. Yeah. That's frustrating to be in a band with her when it's always been us, us, us to the point to where it's gotten like just every song is just about Laura singing about like, this is what's going on with me this week, you know? And yeah. uh, so I, I did want to talk about that. We talked about a lot there. Uh, <laughs> one thing we talked about off air is that um, we have to just try to move on because I know <laughs> we can talk to- about every single one of these songs for an hour. Um, <clears throat> but let's move on Austin to song number six which is fuck my life six, six, six. Um, and this is pretty straightforward. Again, this is a love song about her fear of losing her wife due to transitioning. Um, how Heather would react was her number one concern. That was her biggest thing. She did not want to hurt Heather by transitioning. And she said that she was, extremely supportive what do, what do you think about this one it, it, it's a lot quieter and slower than uh anything else in the album yeah and i think it's as impactful as any of them any of the other songs i mean i yeah. think it's like yeah how do i come out and not ruin my life you know like right. i have this life i've built this life but yes. my truth is in is is indirect could potentially be in direct conflict to this life that I've worked so hard to build for myself. She also talks about like, um, she didn't just love Heather. Like she wanted to be her, like that, that was her ideal. She didn't want, no, no, that's wrong. That's wrong. That's not what she said. She did not want to be here. I should rephrase that. Um, Laura, one thing Laura felt was like, Heather was like her idealized version of like what a woman should be. be. And like, you know, um, and she felt like almost fuck. She felt like um, she could never live up to that sort of ideal of uh, 
of Heather. Um, Fuck my life is something that her friend Pope would say, and we will talk about him in just a minute. So the title is actually not a reference to anything to do with um, her marriage. Um, It's something that her friend would say, and she just sort of threw it in there as like a tribute to him. Um, This is the other one that has an alternate acoustic version. And I will say here, I like the acoustic version a lot. Like it feels more personal and I think it works better as like a quieter solo song. Uh, I think people should definitely check out the acoustic version of this one. I think I like it a little bit better, but but, I mean, they're, they're, uh, they're pretty close. I could Uh, see an acoustic version version working of this song though. Way, way better. Yeah. Yeah, True Transcell Rebel is just not the one to go acoustic with. Let's really quick. Okay, yes. we're going to move on to number seven. I'm going to yeah. take your part for a second. Okay. And we, you mentioned this song offline, and yeah. all I wrote here is, please tell me about Pope <laughs> and make me very sad. That's all. Oh, I don't have any God. other notes. I just want <clears> the story. I texted Austin about a week ago. I said, if you thought the story behind Because of the Shame was rough this this is like maybe the most heartbreaking thing i've ever uh heard about in my life um so this is the only song on the album that isn't about being trans every other song is basically explicitly about being trans so let's get into pope she met pope in 2010 he was a lighting designer he was a very strange and eccentric guy who had a lot of weird tattoos. I think she said that like one of his legs was just covered in different tattoos of the word cunt. Oh, uh, yeah. And, I like uh, that. <laughs> and, uh, but she said that she, he was one of the few people on the road she ever met that she just felt like a very close friendship with. And she said, they just immediately clicked. And we're like great friends to the point that they were like annoying the other people in the crew with like their nonsense. But uh, she talked about just like one of the few people she's ever met in her life that she felt like a true genuine connection with. And basically from the first tour that he had worked on, they had it on the crew. Um, So they were setting up before a show and his he fell off the top of a ladder and broke his foot and he basically did not want to get any kind of medical attention for this but the band demanded that he stay in texas and get surgery because uh the label had insurance on them so they would cover any medical bills as a result of the surgery he was over medicated and ended up in a mental institution where he died from the side effects of psychoactive drugs that he was prescribed um yeah so heather was in really close contact with him in his final week she would talk to him on the phone and she was sort of the only person that would talk to him because he was mostly sort of incoherent from the 
and the drugs. And so he died on April 10th, 2011. And this not only impacted Laura personally, but it also like really, really put a strain on their marriage. Heather really like reacted very strongly to this death. And Laura sort of felt taken aback by that because she felt like she didn't really know him that well, other than those final uh, weeks. And um, there, there was almost a little bit of jealousy on Laura's part about how distraught Heather was at the funeral. Um, which is where some of the lyrics come from. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what do you think about this one, Austin? Jesus Christ. Um, boy, there were a lot of ways that story could have gone when you were telling me it. I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. Initially, I thought overdose. Because, obviously, it was something like that. And then you started talking about the ladder. And I'm like, oh, my God, what can go wrong here? But, I, boy, I didn't see that ending coming. And that's really, very, very sad. It was it was very, very tragic. And, and and she goes into it more in depth in the in the, in the the book. But she basically says, you know, he, he wasn't, like, psychotic. He just, like, kind of lost his mind not being on. Like, he just wanted to go back on tour. Right. He didn't want to stay in Texas. Right. And he was really pissed off about it. And then they kind of put him in all these drugs and he just had a bad reaction. Yeah. And he just kind of got stuck in this institution because he didn't have any family to come get him. And um, once again, it's, it's, it's a thing where, um, vulnerable people in our society are just kind of needlessly killed. I mean, this guy was killed. He was like, I wouldn't, I don't think you would say he was murdered, but yeah, the medical uh, system killed him, you know? Yeah. So, um, I, this is an extremely powerful song. Even if you don't know any of the background, like you just listen to it, it's an incredibly like relatable and, and heartbreaking song, but, then to find out like it's about this extremely real person. And Laura talked about, even though she would come out about a year after his death, Pope really being someone that like gave her the strength to uh, come out because he, and he was just never inhibited by anyone else's expectations of how someone should behave. And uh, yep. They were very, very close friends. Uh, so. Well, it's also at the same. I mean, it's a loaded song, right? And there's a lot in there. There's a yes. lot in the history. There's a lot in the lyrics. But I also felt like it was a. It felt a little bit upbeat and almost as a tribute to this friend. Yeah, like it's it's a weird song because it goes between like lament and yeah. an upbeat tribute. You know, right. like it's it's a very very interesting song. I think and. This is just conjecture. I don't have anything to back this up. This is just sort of the feeling that I get. I think with because of the shame, she wants to be very somber and respectful. Uh, because 
she's essentially writing this song for this woman's mother. Yeah. Uh, and also, even though it was someone that she had a relationship with, it wasn't someone that she was necessarily super close with uh, at the time. Certainly, you know, they hadn't s- spoken in a while. Uh, and with this song, it is more of like, I'm doing a tribute to my buddy. I want to write something that he would like. Right, right. You know what I mean? Uh, and I don't I don't know much about this guy other than like what's written about in his book. But I don't get the sense that he would be very happy with like a, a sad acoustic song. Yeah. About it. Right. <laughs> you know? yeah, it's knowing it's knowing your audience. It's knowing the person. Um, yeah. Anything else you want to say about no, nope, no, nope, done with that one. Let's move uh, on. <laughs> yeah, let's get. Uh, let's move on to song number eight, which is called Two Coffins." This is a song that Laura wrote for her daughter Evelyn, um, who was the other person that she was very concerned about. How is this going to impact? Not only her now as a young child, I believe she was about five at the time, but as she gets older, this is going to be something that she is going to have to deal with the consequences of for basically her entire life to no fault of her own. Um, and, that, and that really weighing on Laura. But she also talks about like when she came out bringing Evelyn on tour with her, and having her see all the people her perform and 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 Murphy saying hello but but having her daughter see that like she actually is doing something that really touches people and really has had an impact on her life and uh, this is just sort of a slow and and sweet little song i wouldn't say it's my favorite on the album but uh what do you think about it it was a this is a weird one for me I have to say, I yeah, I kind of picked up that it was a better kid, but I didn't totally get it. And I thought it kind of even even musically, it was a little a little bit of a turn. Um, but I, you know, I guess it's fine. I didn't it wasn't this wasn't one that I loved. I think like this one's a little too slow for this album. Yeah, like, it definitely. Fuck my life. Six 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 was about as low tempo as I want to get here. Yeah. And here, I think, like, the, this, yeah. It's, you know, it's funny. It's it's one of those things, like, when you go see a concert, right? And I was just, again, recently reminded of this because I was yeah. went to go see the Violent Films. Like, they played a couple of songs that most people in the crowd didn't know. Right. And they were a little slower. And I was like, these are the songs that they like playing, right? These This is a song that they have some sort of attachment to that the audience may not love, but yeah. they want to do it and they're the ones playing music and they're going to put it in there. And then yeah. to, to, to appease the crowd, they put in the fan favorites because they know, they know yeah. the hits, right. Sure. And they play the hits. And sometimes I feel like on these albums, it's like, Oh yeah, you're rolling, you're rolling, you're rolling. Where did that come from? Well, that, this was clearly something that was, I mean, clearly it wasn't clearly, I don't know Laura, but I think it's probably something that was important to her and that's why it's here. And it, that's why it stays. Even if it feels a little like, where's that coming from? And so I, you know, I can appreciate it being on the album. Just doesn't do very much for me personally. I don't think there's any bad songs here. No, I don't uh, either. But this is probably one of my least favorites, even though I, th- I think it's pretty good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I have a ton to say about that one. Um, 
I will say I think it's one of the least interesting songs here. Yeah. Let's move on to song number nine, which is Paralytic States. In my opinion, this is like one of the most powerful and emotional songs that she ever wrote. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is like, I guess we'll start with this. This was the first song that she wrote for this album. So this one is more. I nailed it. I knew it. I was like, this <laughs> feels like something that might have been on that concept album. I yeah. was like, this one has to be. I got that one and I got the one earlier. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Th- this one is is like directly about like a, a transgender prostitute who is preparing to yeah. kill herself in a hotel room. Um and this this is like this is just like straight up about the experience of being trans. Um and dysphoria. And I mean yeah, this- absolutely. And the paralytic states specifically is a reference to when you are trying to transition. Um your fate is in the hands of so many people who may or may not have any interest in, in helping you at all. Right. And then they may actively want to harm you. They may want to discourage you. And it just feels like you are completely out of control of your own life and a decision that Austin, I don't think any trans person like takes it lightly and just walks into an office one day and goes, you know what? I, th- I think I'm going to transition. You know what I mean? I, and, and, and she talks about like dealing with all these therapists who just like, well, now, now are you sure about this? Have you? Yeah. Uh, one story that she told was um, she was trying to, she had to go get permission from a therapist to start taking uh, hormones. Yeah. HRT. Yeah. So, She's going to this guy and she keeps telling him, like, yeah, man, like, this is what I want to do. Like, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure about it, you know? And uh, she says, finally, in one of the sessions, he just asked her, he goes, well, when are you going to start dressing like a woman? And she's like, I am. Like, but to this guy, she's walking in there in like a tank top and black jeans. And he's thinking that's not what he thinks a transgender person is. Right. So she finally says, okay, what she goes, okay, I'm going to put on a big frilly dress and I'm going to put on a bunch of makeup and we'll go in this guy's office and go, here I am, you know? And uh, she almost did it to like piss him off, but it worked. He was like, oh, oh, you're really serious then. God, you know, and it's just like that kind of, I just can't even imagine like the toll that must take on your mental state Yeah, to like, you have to go in there and be a clown for this guy. You know what I mean? It's just like, it's so heartbreaking. There's so many stories like that in the book that are just like, but, but this is one where she's definitely attempting to hide the fact that this is autobiographical. She's trying to, to like make it clearly about a third person but also like she wants to hammer home the trans suicide epidemic like she wants to get that across and and, like i will say before i listened to this as many times as i had this would have been my pick for best song i'm gonna go with something else 
but th- this to me is like and again i don't know that this makes my top 10 songs list but i really think this is like one of the best songs she ever wrote like this is really really great um i just don't like i don't know how you can hear this song and just not sympathize with her okay. and and uh yeah, this is uh, this is great stuff. What do you think about this one? It's it's interesting that it was written first because I think that it the the where it is in the album it sums up everything she's been saying right. very nicely, right? Yeah, and and I love the way this album ends. We're going to talk about the last song next, but yeah, it's just it's it's like here's I don't know how else to put this. This is going to be a weird analogy. Here's my thesis. Here's here's okay. who I am. Here's right. what I'm Absolutely. Thinking, right? Yeah. And then you get to the end and it's like in conclusion and now Absolutely. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And then the the last song we'll talk about in a minute it kind of does its job which she's done on every other album. But I mean yeah. I'm like this is it. This is like this is me. This is what you're dealing with. This is 100% my truth and my future. You can you can tell that like She's been writing this song for 15 years. Fuck yeah. Maybe you know more. what I mean? Like yep. <laughs> she's been working on this since like she picked up a guitar for the first time. Like it, it, yeah, this is like like I said, I wouldn't say this is the best song on the album. I th- I think it's it's in contention. There's three songs that I went back and forth for best of. But I would say if you're only going to listen to one song on this album, this is a song that you have to listen to. This is the most important song here. Right. Uh, this is, it's just great. Musically, it's also, it's, I was going to say, it's also a really fucking it's good super song. Catchy, like, it's super catchy. It's super great. It's not yeah. even, I feel like sometimes we're like, oh, it's really important, but maybe not my favorite. But that's not to say that it's not a good song. It's another it's, one that you're just kind of nodding along and you're like, yeah, you can hear them fucking through the walls. And, and then, you know, if you don't pay <laughs> super close attention, you know, it's you're, yeah. you're having fun in there. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, but it's, 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 uh, uh, but again, like super dark. Um, yeah. Essentially, uh, the character here ends up drowning their self. Um, um, one thing that a lot of that I did not pick out, but a lot of commenters mentioned was the the line by the time the ball dropped, it was already over. And that being a reference to not only um, Times Square, the Times Square, but also like adolescence and puberty oh, okay and by the time that you hit that sort of stage in your life it's it's almost too late right that's you smart. know yeah i didn't even i didn't care i did that. not pick up on that at all and i don't Me know neither. if that was intentional but a lot of people read into that line specifically and talked about how that hit home with them like really hard so i think that is all that i really have to say about that one just a fantastic song in like every possible way. But let's move on, Austin, to song number 10. We have finally made it to the end here. Now, this song is called Black Me Out. And this would have been the first song off this album that anybody heard. She played it live for the first time on New Year's Eve 2011. And that was a very big moment for her because she had decided before that show that in the new year, she was going to come out. She was going to transition. 
and the she um, right before midnight, 2011, they were playing, and she sort of stopped the show and took out her acoustic guitar and said, basically, uh, I'm going to play a song that's just for me. And uh, she said that like it was she was in the middle of the song as the new year happened. And a lot of people just weren't paying attention, like members of the band just sort of walked off stage to start drinking. And uh, but she said that in that moment, that was where Tom died. So this is an incredibly uh, personal song. And basically, like, did you know, you started hearing versions of this song online and stuff as early as like 2012 and like i think it works a lot better in the context of the full album than as a standalone song i mean i think i think this is really the standout song on the album it's probably the most memorable uh and recognizable song here and and i think like it works great on its own right but here as like the final song in this album with the full context of everything that's been going on. I mean, this is just like great stuff. It's so brutal and honest. Uh, and, and it really is about shedding um, her old self and what she is, is sort of um, talking about is just, um, just forget he ever fucking existed. He's right. dead. He's right. gone. Right. And uh, she said <laughs> another funny story was uh, the line piss on the walls of your was just the meanest thing that she could possibly think to do to someone. And she would she would find out that her dad used to do that, that uh, he would he would come home drunk and, and get into some kind of argument with with their mother and just piss on the walls of the house. <laughs> and uh, So uh, what, what did you think about this song? I mean, I think you, it was a lot of the same stuff. It's that it, you know, I, I think it continues in something that I feel pretty strongly about where she's able to close out these albums with an, with a song that kind of puts a period on, on the album, but also it's like, Hey, this is, we're, we're, we're moving on. This is something new. And, and what you're going to hear after this is, is, is different than what you just listened to. Um, I just said, it's goodbye, dead name. Hello, Laura. I really, really liked the song. And I, and I, the last thing I said is she had any fans following her from the beginning that had any sort of expectations of who she should be. This is the song that's telling them to fuck off and that this is who she is. And yeah. you, you, if you're, if you're still along for the ride and you're enjoying yourself, great. And if you're not, it's time for you to go. Yeah. Um, and also there, um, one other thing I want to point out is that a lot of people, especially before she transitioned interpreted this song to kind of be like a, a diss or whatever at sire. And she wanted to be very clear that this, that was not the case that had nothing to do with that. She, she, um, I won't say she speaks highly of her time at sire, but I think she has a very level headed uh, response to it all. And that she sort of understands the good in they 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 made a lot of mistakes and she made a lot of mistakes but ultimately she she sort of learned a lot and who knows if she doesn't go through all the stress of 
the, making those two albums with Sire if if this album even happens. Well, she also it feels like her threshold for burning a bridge completely down is pretty high. Yeah. Like you really gotta you really gotta fucking right. get after her before she's like yes. goodbye forever. And she's and she's pretty level headed about that. I mean look, yeah. Fat Mike came back for this album. Like that's a that's well, well, she never had a she, I will say even though I understand you even though you and I had our issues with him in, in well, this show. Yeah, but she never had any kind of um falling out or negative thing to say about fat Mike ever. Right. Um, she really, really speaks highly. So, so that's, that's, that's the new thing is that people got to be nice to fat Mike. You got to leave him alone. <laughs> all right. He's doing his best out there. He's all right. Austin, we got a couple more things to do unless you have anything else you want to say about this song in particular. No, I think, I think we covered it. I mean, this was a, this was a very, pleasurable album experience you've dragged me through some shit on the, some of these episodes but this is not one of them <laughs> I, that's unfair i'm kidding i i really i've enjoyed i will say them. original cowboy that sucks <laughs> that's garbage that that's live a, album varying ugh, varying degrees of quality yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but this is not this said not that this did not have that problem all right no no so All what right. we got to do to get home? Let's move on to the quotes, Austin. And I've got quite a few quotes here. Um, let's start with a couple from a 2022 alternative press interview that Laura did with James Hickey. And this is essentially back in March to celebrate the 20th anniversary of reinventing Axl Rose. Uh, it was an interview that I read. And she had a lot of really interesting things to say. James asked some really smart questions that got some really good responses from her. Um, But there was just so much stuff in that show that I just wasn't able to use any of the quotes. But he asked some really good questions about this album, so I saved it. I only really ended up using one quote from that interview, but I really wanted to highlight it and talk about it because... uh, she she has some really good things to say there. It's just for the interest of time here. There's only one thing that uh, I wanted to keep, but uh, she is asked about this album in particular. And she says that record was in a lot of ways, a fuck you to the situation we'd come out of being dropped by Sire records and wanting to prove a point and take a stance that we still have worth. And, uh, you think you think she was successful there? I think she said a lot of things, and yeah, yeah. she was successful. I think the 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 sales and the and the new found fandom. I mean, yeah. those are pretty big results. I mean, those are pretty big indicators of like, hey, I can do this on my own. I'm going to prove it. I produced, wrote, I did everything. It does make you wonder, like they had been sort of left to their own devices a bit more what they could have done on sire because I, I think the thing that she talks about especially with white crosses is just they wouldn't leave them alone austin the next few quotes are from a time magazine interview she did with nolan feeney in january of 2015 so about a year after this album came out um and Nolan asked some of the songs on transgender dysphoria blues 
were already known to fans because you road tested them before the album, right? Yep. And she says, yeah. And a lot of bands are really precious with that. And YouTube, they're like, let's not play a song before it's out. We don't want anyone to hear them. I've always taken the approach of playing it. If it's good, it'll be just as good in a year. We've had those records where we didn't road test stuff. And you go out on the road and realize, oh, shit, this song sucks. <laughs> and uh, I, I really wanted to include that because, uh, you know, I, I talked about before, like, constantly new songs were leaking online and, like, uh, being available on YouTube and message boards and stuff like that. And, and the band is sort of, like, embracing that, whereas a lot of bands at that time were so precious about like anything coming out that wasn't like direct from the label or you know um and i think i think she's absolutely right because like <clears throat> it only made me love the song more that i'd heard it a year before it came out right you know what i mean i heard this sort of uh low quality audio like acoustic live version and then when i hear the real version like the real full version it only makes me appreciate it more well i think there's a little more to it though potentially potentially and that i think she has the confidence enough to know that if this is road tested and released before that she's confident that it's not going to affect the album sales. And she was right. I think the other thing is, is that she's on her own label, so she can do whatever the fuck she wants to. Right. I think a lot of these other bands that may not be thrilled about playing their, their stuff, there's a lot of pressure from record labels yeah. to not put that stuff out there. And so I think, I, I think it's a, it's a really clever move for her to go, you know what? I can release this early. I can start playing it live and hit the road and I'll still sell more records than we've ever sold before. Right. Yeah. All right. This next quote, she sort of explains her thought process behind Fuck My Life 666 a bit more. The feeling I wanted to convey with it was really hard to feel like I got right. What it's like to transition when you're married to someone who is the embodiment of femininity. Silicone chest and collagen lips. Not to pat myself on the back, but that's a really tricky couplet to fit into a lyric. <laughs> I was aware of how many people would be able to relate to that feeling, knowing that you're going to go through physical surgeries that will alter the way you look and the way other people relate to you. It became a question in the studio like, would this make someone uncomfortable? If the answer was yes, then I knew it was pretty good, and I need to keep pushing a little further in that way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and I think... Um, and that gives you a little bit better perspective on the, that song. But I, I, I agree with what she says here that she didn't. I don't know if she absolutely nailed what she was trying to go for, but I think she gave it a really good go. There's a That's a lot to put into one song, though, too. It, it, it's also like. It's a feeling that I have to imagine is just impossible to express fully. Right. All right, Austin, one more quote from this interview. Um, and this is, she is sort of talking about um, the trials and tribulations of coming out and making this album. She says, 
Coming out and deciding to transition had effects on my other relationships where they transitioned into other things too. They weren't necessarily negative things, but they shook my foundation and sense of security in life. Going into transitioning, I was married. I had a kid. I had a house, two cars, and a studio. Now a tree fell through the roof of my studio. Half of my band is new. All the people I tour with are new. I'm no longer with my partner. I'm still a parent, but I don't have a house. I live in an apartment in Chicago. I just bought a new car, but it's used. Everything's changed. It's not to say things were destroyed or things were negative, but there are multiple moments in the past year and a half where I'd have these realizations like, I'm 19 years old again right now. This is how I felt when I was 19. It's terrifying and thrilling. The world is new and unknown. That's, yeah, that's profound. I mean, yeah. Ooh. Laura, <clears throat> in interviews and in, the, in this album and in her book, she she really does a great job of, of articulating very complicated feelings and making you empathize with her yeah, um, and understand where she's coming from. Um, you know, I've said it from really she's early a very, on. uh, very talented speaker as well as writer. I was just saying she's a very talented writer. Yeah. But even just off the cuff talking, she's very smart. Last quote, Austin is from Laura's book. This is the last time that we're going to have anything from the book. Uh, which sucks for me because we still got one more studio album I got to put together a show for <laughs> without the book to lean on. The book came out around the same time as this album, right? Uh, it came out in 2016, but it was written like, okay. right alongside this album. And the book essentially ends with this album coming out and okay. sort of what the response to that was. Um, so, yeah, it was. It, it came out in 2016, but it was it was written like around 2013, 2014. Okay. Uh, and, and the book is also a combination of new material and also like her journals that she kept over the years, which right. is really an interesting concept uh, for a book. The, I think in her journals, she was a lot more raw and real than she was when she knew people were going to be reading it. Well, and I yeah. think like um, putting the journals in there really like helped give you like a really good insight to her thought process. But um, so this is the last quote that we'll take from the book. And I thought this was just a really great summation of everything that we talked about today. Uh, she's talking about making this album and she says, in a way it was the record I'd been working on my whole life. Lyrics about fear, frustration, confusion and identity there was no filter and i fired away with everything i'd been holding in for three decades i traded everything i had for those 10 songs they were all i had to show for a dwindling career a failing marriage and a decaying life i mean i think we both hit on that too right <laughs> yeah i mean not all of it but yeah, it's the big, it's the put all your chips down moment. And it yes, paid off. Absolutely. The best ending possible besides her entire personal life falling apart, which is yeah. a tragedy. I think 
you know, one thing that's a consistent with Laura is that um, she sort of puts the band ahead of her personal life. Just a couple more things we need to do now. I want to know, in your opinion, what was the worst song that we listened to today? Oh, I went back and forth between two of them. I have a feeling they're probably the same. Maybe not the same as you, but I, I kind of went back and forth between two coffins and drinking with the jocks. Okay. Which probably shouldn't be very surprising. I, I think I'm going to go with two coffins. Okay. Just felt a little out of place. I didn't totally get it. It missed me. It went over my head. It's probably yeah. too smart for me. So I'm going to go with two coffins. So that is, that is my, my final answer. It's, but I just, I just didn't. Yeah. I, I, I It's not my worst. I'm actually Austin going to do the most cowardly thing possible and pick the cop out answer and go with Russian spies. Uh, as my Oh, worst. That, that is a cop out. <laughs> but if I had to pick a worst song on the album, uh, I think I'd go with drinking with the jocks. Okay. Yeah, I, I had to skip it a couple of times. I will say that. I never. When I was really, I, I never skipped any song, but that that's probably the one that it's tough because, like, I think she's making like a really good point. I think it really is like a really personal uh, and moving song, but just for whatever reason, it. I just feel like musically, it's. It's hit. the wrong tone compared to like the rest of the album. Yeah, that's fair. Listen, I was right there with you. I had to pick one. All right, Austin, let's do it. This is probably the hardest one I to agree. pick for me. Uh, I went back and forth many, many times. What did you think was the best song on this album? Yeah. So I went back and forth between three. Me too. Then it, then it got down to two. <laughs> And I think if I had to say it, I don't know, man, this is tough. I'm going to go. I think I'm going to go. Uh, I think I'm going to go true trans soul rebel. Okay. It, but it was very close with um, black me out. Yeah. Those are neck and neck for me. And black I, me out is also going to be my number two pick. Yeah. Uh, it was like, I think. Hmm. It's tough because I think it is the standout song on the album, like, but I don't think it's it's not the best and it's not my favorite. And that's what this is about. Yeah, it's about your I, personal. I think the best song here is "Transgender Dysphoria Blues." That's my I number think, three. I think that is the best encapsulation of what she's trying to do here. The lyrics are very simple. Um, but they are heartbreaking and it is yeah. impossible to not empathize with her in this song. There's just so many great lyrics and, uh, and it's also just a really catchy and really fun song. song to listen to. It's just a very satisfying song on like every level possible. Paralytic States was very close. That w that was like, I was positive that was going to be my best song until i got about five or six listens in and and then and it was just like i would wake up every day and like 
the opening riff would be in my head and I'd be like, I need to hear this song right now. <laughs> you know, this it's the, catchy. It's a best, it's a best song to lead off an album too, man. Yeah, that that, that yeah. drum hits at the beginning and you're just, you're in. It's fantastic. All right, Austin, we have spent so much time on this album and these songs. I feel like this was such a heavy show. It wasn't as dark as I thought it was going to be. I think we managed to keep it as light as we possibly yeah. could. But All right, Austin, just a couple more things that we have to do. The first of which is talk about next time. Now, I'm going to say this. Uh, initially, when I saw this album, like on the list, I was dreading it because I was like, oh, God, it's so late in the run. It's just another live album. <laughs> but now I'm actually very excited about this because like, it will not require as much uh, research uh, we're not going to have to talk about too many like horrible, uh, depressing things. Uh, so we are going to be talking about 23 Live Sex Acts, which is a live album from 2015. And Austin, this will be the first and only episode where you and I are in the same boat. I have never listened to this album. Oh, yes. All right. <laughs> when it came out. I was like sort of in my phase where I wasn't listening to a lot of music. I was deep, deep into podcasts and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and it came out and I was like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to get around to that one day. And Here I've been are. saying that for about seven years now. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm going to, I'm going to tell you this, Austin, uh, judging by interviews and stuff, this is an album that Laura is like really proud of. Um, oh, okay. And she put a lot of work into this. Is another one where she's the producer, comes out on her label. Is so it twenty three songs? Yes. Oh boy. Yeah. Okay. So it, it is a it is a long one. <laughs> it, is, it is a long one. Um. Yeah. So. All right. All right. The other thing we're gonna do. Uh, we talked about this before. We really had a good time sending each other songs to listen to before so i think in lieu of taking questions or voicemails again um we are going to do that as sort of a way to have something interesting to talk about on the show and uh austin i've already talked about this so people who follow me on twitter will be very excited to know that Austin is going to hear Waxahachie for the first time on the, on the next episode. So uh, I'm very excited about that. I think I know what song I'm going to send in, but man, it's tough. She's got some fucking great ones, all right. but um, all right, Austin, anything you want to say about that? Nope. Looking forward to it. I'm going to try and do a better job this time. All right. So, yeah, we're going to send each other three songs that we feel the other one will like, but has never heard before. And, uh, yeah, we'll just come on and review them on the show. Uh, all right. The last thing we have to do before we can get out of here and go to bed. It's very <laughs> late right now. Uh, maybe not to Austin, to me. I go to bed very early. So. Yeah, I know. I'm about, to eat, I'm about to eat dinner. It's late for me. Uh, I know in New York, you know, we stay up to three or four in the morning. Hey. Yeah, I go to bed very early because I'm a tired little boy. Let's get into the plugs. Uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at Age of the Fever. One thing I don't talk about enough is that we have a show playlist. If you search against Austin, on Spotify, it should pop up. 
would put in our choices for favorite songs and then also whatever song I play at the end of the episode. I think that's it for me. Uh, I know we have at least one new listener, Austin. I don't know if she wants me to mention her, but thank you for listening. (laughs) What do you have to plug? I just have the other podcasts that people occasionally show up on, like Dwayne. It's called... If you catch my grift, and if you've been listening to the show this long, you know what it's about. It's about grifters and con men and people who I just don't like, but I end up doing a lot of research on, which really is probably not great for my mental health, but that's what we do. And you can find me. I am on Twitter. I'm not, I'm not very active these days, but I am on Twitter at Grift Daddy. You can follow me there. I mostly just retweet stuff from the shows these days, but I'm still around. All right. Well, and what's coming up on uh, if you catch my grift? So we're in kind of like a mini series. We just did up live now uh, is an episode about Kenneth Copeland, the evangelical televangelist. It's, he's horrible, but um, he's made a ton of money off of his followers. And he Probably like, like demon. I don't know. Hmm. I wouldn't say he's the worst guy you've covered, but. Maybe the most like despicable. Maybe the he's, guy that like it's just yeah. like the most hateable person. I've oh, ever he's heard. so hateable! Like I already knew so... about him before you guys did, did yeah. the episode because uh, Murder Brian did an episode about him uh, a few years ago. But uh, yeah, really, yeah. Uh, really horrible <laughs> guy. <laughs> well, so and I could preview the next few episodes because we've got one uh, that's being edited right now. We decided if we're going to cover an evangelical preacher, we're going to have to get into Satanism as well to kind of be fair and balanced. So we talked about Anton LaVey and the Church of Satan. All right. Now that's okay. Yeah. Because I think like, I mean, I don't want to get off on a tangent here, but <laughs> the whole Satanist thing, like it it's is the, the biggest fucking nerd shit I've ever heard. It Just fuck off. Yeah. So we're gonna then we're gonna that's awesome i'm looking forward to that one that's yeah 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 we're just waiting for it to be edited um and then we are gonna go and we're gonna start talking about the sort of what came out of the church of satan which was the satanic panic in the 80s and one guy in particular is a guy named ted gunderson who is an early influence of alex jones who may or may not be the episode after that so we got a few kind of that sort of linked to each other um, because it's October and let's talk about Satan in October. And there's a lot of weird satanic panic shit happening again now. Uh, I hope that like people are happy with this. I hope that if anyone is trans and listens to this, that I did right by you. Yes, that's I important. No, that I did, but I tried my best. I think that's it also <laughs> yeah no I, I i would i would co-sign that i think it's we we tried
Should we give up and, and press?